Have you ever heard of Jordan Peterson? He's a Canadian psychologist and philosopher. He's popular, except in really politically correct circles. I was listening to this fascinating lecture by him the other day in which he talked about values. So let me state this in three similar ways to get at his point. What we value affects our perceptions. What we value affects how we perceive things. Second, our value system shapes the way the world manifests itself to us. Our value system affects how we experience the world. And finally, our target, our goal, what we say is valuable, that's what our goals, our targets are, they're valuable to us. What we say is valuable impacts how we see things as well as our emotional states. Here's an example he uses. It's funny, at least I found it funny. He said, imagine you're on your way to work. You're on your way to work and you're late. It's your fault that you're late, but that doesn't matter. You're late. You're on your way to work and let's say you're a little bit temperamental. You're late on your way to work. You come to a stoplight and there's an elderly woman making her way across the street and the flashing hand is saying, hey, you should already be over here. And you begin muttering to yourself, nobody can hear you, you're in your car, but you're muttering. Is that woman someone created in the image and likeness of God or is she an obstacle to you? Is she a problem? Here's another example, a little bit closer to home. People come to mass for all sorts of different reasons. You can imagine someone is here, not because they believe what we're doing, but their spouse is here and they want to spend time with their spouse. Or maybe somebody's here because they thought there was a basketball game and they thought, well, <laughs> this is the pregame show. I don't know. Here are two specific examples for our consideration. One is the person who comes just to fulfill an obligation. Mom makes me be here. I'm fulfilling an obligation. Or maybe someone who's hedging his bets. He believes in heaven. He's not quite sure about hell. So he just wants to come so he can check that box, which he thinks might prevent him from burning for all eternity. Right? So he's just here to fulfill an obligation on the one hand. On the other hand, you have someone who's here because, well, they want to learn. They want to grow closer to God. And it comes time for the homily. Same homily, person who's here just to fulfill a goal, to fulfill an, an obligation, well, you can imagine that they would be happier with a shorter homily, even if it's superficial, a little bit annoyed with a longer one because they really want to get on to what's valuable. They want to get on with living life. This is not it. I'm here to fulfill obligation. Life is out there. For the other person, well, we can imagine that they might be happier with a thought-provoking homily, even if it's a little bit longer. They might be annoyed with a shorter homily if it's superficial. It doesn't provide much meat for them. Because what they want is they want their values to be informed so they can see things out there as they really are. Same homily, different experiences. What we value affects what we see and what we feel. 
A weak or a flawed value system leads to problems. You can imagine a child who is given everything, comes to expect that everything should be given to her, that she's owed everything. Her parents collaborate in shaping this value system for her, and then she's out on her own, and lo and behold, not everything is given to her. Not everyone owes her everything, and the world manifests itself as a dark, unfair place. Flawed value systems lead to problems. The basic structure of this is you are somewhere and you want to go somewhere. That's the basic structure. You are somewhere, you want to go somewhere. Even if you're at a movie or reading a book, even if you don't move physically, you're looking for the same thing. You are somewhere, but you want to go somewhere. It's what you're hoping will happen with this homily. You want it to go somewhere. That's the basic structure. It's the same basic structure of a story. You start at point A and you want to get to point B. There's the beginning and there's an end. But most of the stories are not like that, right? Those are uninteresting stories. And most of the stories aren't like that because between A and B, what happens? Life happens. You get sick, you lose your job, your relationship falls apart. You fail your tests. So most stories are something like this. You begin at point A, you want to get to point B, but C unexpectedly happened. You want to go to work, your car breaks down. You want to go to school, but you get sick. You want to go to the restaurant after mass, but they're closed. They changed hours again. Now, a tragic story ends at that point. C happens unexpectedly, and it ends. You interview for a job, you quit your other one, you didn't get the job, and your life falls apart. It's a tragedy. Think of Romeo and Juliet. They take their own lives, and basically the story ends. There's a little resolution, but that's it. That's a tragedy. The stories that we love, or something like this. You begin at A, you want to get to B, but C unexpectedly happens, and yet you fight through it. You overcome obstacles, maybe your own ignorance, different setbacks, and the person succeeds. They're reconstituted, they're redeemed. There's a death and there's a resurrection. All the stories we love are like this. The movies we love are like this. I was thinking of Rocky Balboa, right? How many obstacles did he have to overcome to win every time? right? Um, eventually. Think of Lord of the Rings. Got to get rid of this ring of evil. Okay, there's the beginning. The end is dropping it in this pool of fire. But all these things happen between the A and B that test the character of Frodo and others. And they develop and they overcome, they succeed. Or think of the original Star Wars, the only three good Star Wars movies. Right? <laughs> What happens in the second one? There's a beginning, right? The first movie. And then the second one, what happens? The empire strikes back, right? And how does it end? Well, there's Luke Skywalker missing an arm. And it's dark, why? Because complete was not your training, right? And then that was not the end of the story.
He fought to reconstitute himself, and the Jedi returns. It's in all our great stories. It's in this story of the gospel of James and John. They begin, and what's the B? What's the end? What do they want? I'm going to say that's your right or your left. But who intervenes unexpectedly? Who is C? Christ is C. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's the type of life, the values, the sacrificial service that's needed in order to obtain the end, the goal, the target. The rest of their lives were spent incorporating those values, dying and rising until they mirror Christ's offering of his life that opened a new horizon, triumph of the resurrection. I mean, the archetypal, the prototypical story of this is Jesus. He's born, he's here to save his people, save everyone from being alienated from everyone and from God who is goodness and truth and love itself. And what happens? Death happens. Is it the end of the story? No, it's not the end of the story. There is the resurrection. What about our story here at John Paul II? We had a beginning. We had an A, right, about five years ago. And B, the end point, the goal is what? Something like build a parish before you all die, right? (laughs) Something like that. But C unexpectedly happened. And in fact, many C's happened, COVID and everything else. And for a while, our story may have seemed like a tragedy. And to some it did, and they left, that was it. There's no future in store at this place. But our story seems to be taking on the shape of the stories that we love. Point A to point B, but C happens, yet C is being overcome. There's a death and resurrection. We've been strengthened for future challenges as we set off once again towards our goal. Isn't it amazing how that structure fits? It's like it's written into our very being. Death and resurrection, I like that. That's meaningful. It's an exciting time. This is our last weekend here at Madison Place. But it's gonna be a transition, so not to dampen your spirits in any way, but to deepen them. Let me intervene just a little bit like Jesus did, if I may make that comparison. I was thinking about this the other day when I was thinking about our first communicants this year. If they were born here, this has been their parish. What have they known? All that they've known is a church is a gym for my home parish. That's all they've known. And that's not without consequences or side effects. Environment impacts behaviors. We know this with studies regarding even just clothing. The clothes you wear make a difference on your attitude. So too must this environment have impacted our behavior. You go to gyms for other things, sporting events, plays, shows, And how do you prepare for those? Well, kind of as it's kind of creeping in here a little bit, we get together and we talk before the show starts, right? But we're not spectators, we're participants. So 
let's arrive in time to prepare. Parents, I've heard this from multiple parents in the past. They say the best way with their children is to arrive early so they can do a bathroom break before Mass starts. So ordinarily it's not needed during Mass. Now I know this is possible from having a school with kindergartners through fifth graders. Kindergartners can sit in one place for an hour. I've seen it. It happens. Okay, arrive early, prepare, pray. And I know everyone who cleaned those pews would want me to say, no gum. <laughs> you wouldn't think that I'd have to say that, but you wouldn't believe the amount of gum that came off the bottom of the pews. I thought it was just going to be the Baptist pews, honestly, but it was not. <laughs> Baptist and Catholic pews, tons of gum. No gum. Remember, there should be a fast before you receive communion of an hour. Gum is included in that. No gum. Please, you can do it. You'll walk in over there. Unless you need a ramp to get in to assist you, that would be through the office door, front door, facing east. Okay? On the uh, north side of that is the main entrance for the church. That's where the majority of us should enter. Okay? That's where we want you to enter and to exit, frankly. There will be holy water fonts there that will actually look like holy water fonts. You dump, dip, uh, dip your hand in there and make the sign of the cross. You'll genuflect if you're able when you go in and when you leave. And you'll be able to participate more easily. Now there will be no excuse for you to say, I can't read those hymns in the bulletin, so I'm not going to sing because we have hymnals. And when Advent comes around, we will have missiles with the readings, responsible psalm, and other hymns. Until then, you'll be handed the half sheet of paper with the readings and the responsorial psalm on them when you come in, not the bulletin. Don't complain about that. You'll be given the bulletin on the way out. No reading the newspaper beforehand. All right. Good. The sound system is far superior. Uh, to what we currently enjoy, but a big part of that is because of the acoustics of this place, which are terrible, right? It's a gym. It's terrible. With all the ambient noise, all of this makes it hard for you to hear me and for me to hear me. But what it also does is it drowns out a lot of the little sounds that happen that we've kind of grown accustomed to. We're not going to have that over there. It's going to be silent. And so the small sounds that we've kind of grown accustomed to with the ambient noise in the background are going to be magnified. Okay, so I want to say one, be patient with children as they make this transition. It's a big transition. They're in the gym for other things throughout the week. Okay, it's going to be a transition for them. Be patient with them. But parents, likewise, if your little one needs to go out, remember that there are those who are hard of hearing or have a short attention span. So be considerate, please. If your little one needs out, well, we have a cry room with a speaker and glass. You can participate if you need to duck out. One of the biggest challenges, especially at this Mass, will be parking. Okay, I think we have about 100 stalls, okay, or so. But there's a lot of green grass that you can park on. So it's the way things are. Either a gym or that. We choose that, right? If you get there early, you get a parking stall and you can get pews with kneelers. Right, the ones in the back don't have kneelers. There's carpet though. I need volunteers for ministries. 
We're short of ushers, greeters, readers, extraordinary ministers. I need servers, right? So please, if you can do those things, do those things. I'll have some trainings this week. We'll begin our soft opening on Tuesday with daily mass. And the next weekend is the parish feast day, the feast of John Paul II. On Saturday, four o'clock, we'll have father and son come into the church, receive first communion, confirmation. On the 24th, that's Sunday, a week from today at 10 o'clock, I'll be delegated to bless the building and the altar. It's probably gonna be the only time in my priesthood that I do that. So after that, we will have a cookout with inflatables and all sorts of fun. It's an exciting time for us. God has been faithful. It's His grace that has allowed us to overcome the many seas, the many obstacles, the many challenges. And He has shown us in His Son how to have a meaningful life because He's shown us everything valuable in Him.